This week, we're going to finish up our two-week mini-series called Truth and Tolerance. And the reason I did that is because before we can build the kingdom of God, we have to use the right tools. And two of those things that are so very important for us are truth and tolerance. If you missed truth last week, uh, you're going to be a little bit disadvantaged today. I don't usually do that, but this is pretty heavy stuff. So I'm going to encourage you, please, go back to our... Uh, our website, funchurch.com. Go up to the top, click sermons. It'll be right there. You can listen to it. Or if you have uh, iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just look up uh, Christian Church of Estes Park or Google Play. Uh, Zach has it everywhere. You go to YouTube, not YouTube yet. That'll be next month. Uh, let's see, uh, Facebook, it's on there. But listen to truth, uh, the, the sermon on truth, because it'll help make this help make, make a lot of sense. Today, we're going to talk about tolerance. And in doing so, I'm going to challenge you. Uh, today, I will probably offend every one of us. Okay, that's part of tolerance, right? So I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to challenge you. If I say something that's going to be difficult or hard, stick with me to the end. I think you'll be quite surprised at where God leads us to in this, okay? It may not end where initially you might think it does. So stick with us to see what God's word is in the power of tolerance and why we need it. So today we're going to start, we're going to look at what tolerance is and also what it isn't. We're going to talk about what God's Word has to say about it, and then we're going to examine how it is applied. So let's begin. Of course, we always like to start with a memory verse because disciples of Jesus know the Word of God and it applies it to our lives. So here's today's memory verse. It says, Ephesians 4.2 says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now what you need to do, you take that memory verse card but don't put it in your pocket or your wallet or your purse or tape it to the back of your phone yet because we're going to come back to that memory verse card later on in the message. So unlike most weeks, what I want you to do, if you have your Bible, stick that memory verse card in Matthew chapter 5. If you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry. got lots of them in the back. And if you need a Bible, keep it. Um, we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. First, let's talk about tolerance. Now, we're going to talk about what it is at first. There's a modern definition of tolerance, which is well, I'll call pseudo-tolerance, which means it looks like tolerance, but it truly isn't. As, uh, again, why I say that it's not true tolerance. In our culture today, would you say that we are a very uh, open, accepting culture to, to all kinds of different people? I think from the, the outside, from the surface, it might appear that way. But interpersonally, do you find that we're becoming more and more loving towards our fellow Americans, especially to those who see things different than us? Are we finding that people on the other side of the religious divide or the political divide or the ideological divide, are we finding that there is a greater sense of love and, and unity in there or, or a greater sense of division and hatred? Yeah, I think it's, it's a greater vision of hatred. That's a sense that not just I see it from our side, but everybody it's, beginning, it's, it's making news media, all that kind of stuff from all across the spectrum. Something in our culture is causing us to hate one another. And, in, and it's a strange because tolerance is one of the highest virtues. When Pew Research did the, uh, their, their study last year uh, that talked about what are the, the greatest virtues of our country right now or the things that Americans say are the most important things, tolerance ranked as number one on our virtues. Isn't that amazing? Number one, and yet, despite that we as Americans hold the fact that we want to be tolerant people, and we see tolerance is this greatest thing we're supposed to be, in our reality, it, we are seeing that we're becoming more and more hateful, more and more divided. Now, say, how is that? Well, I would say that the tolerance that we are practicing is causing a divide, right? It, if, you, if you look at, uh, you look at uh, a, a manufacturer, a, a, like a a place that builds something, right? They build cars. And you say, well, how, why does it build cars? Well, it's, it's made to build cars. 
right? If you want to make cakes, you don't buy auto manufacturing equipment. Because if you make auto manufacturing equipment, you're always going to get cars, right? If you want to change what you're getting, you have to change what's getting you those things. Does that make sense? And if we're getting hatred and we're getting division and we're getting strife and we're getting contention, then we don't look at the contention and say, we want to get rid of that. We have to say, what's bringing us those things and change this? And I will tell you our modern understanding that the ethic of our modern tolerance is leading us to becoming a hate-filled people. And it's time to change the machinery. So let's look at the machinery. What is modern tolerance? Modern tolerance, here's a good definition from vocabulary.com, okay? Very well-trusted place. It says, when you practice tolerance, you accept another's ideas and beliefs. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Okay, that's what the idea, and in fact, you can go to lots of different places and find the definitions, but there's some things from modern tolerance that are always going to be in there. The first one is that word accept. This is a big deal. Acceptance means to validate it means to adopt. It means to own. For example, if I have a present and I, and I offer you that present and you accept that present, now you take that present and you make it your own, don't you? That's what it means. But what do I accept? Well, I accept another's ideas and beliefs. These are ideas and beliefs that are not mine, which means that I'm going to take beliefs that I already hold and I'm going to take beliefs that you hold and I'm also now going to have to hold them. I have to accept them. So now I hold two things. Sometimes they work together, sometimes they might be different, but I must be tolerant except another's ideas and beliefs. And also, notice the focus on modern tolerance. It's on ideas and beliefs. We don't tolerate people in this. We don't validate people. We tolerate ideas. This is the idea, right? We, we, want to, we have to accept ideas, not people. So the focus is on the beliefs and the ideas. How this plays out is modern tolerance then starts with this presupposition, this, this foundational belief then that all beliefs are then equally valid, right? If I need to accept your belief, I must then accept that your belief is equally valid to mine, that all beliefs are, must be equally valid. That's where it begins. And in order for that to take place, and this is why you have to, if you didn't miss, you missed the message on truth, you have to go back and listen to it, otherwise this is not going to make full sense. But this comes to the idea that all beliefs then, our beliefs create reality. The reason that I must accept all beliefs, all beliefs are equally valid, is because all beliefs create reality. Let me give you some examples right now in our culture. Let's go from the spiritual and the moral. Let's start there. Have you ever had the idea that, that God is, uh, that all religions are equal? Have you heard that? That you see these bumper stickers or things like that that says coexist? And these ideas that all faiths basically teach the same thing. Have you heard this? Yeah, this is basically um, spoken all throughout culture. And to be a tolerant person, we must say that all religions basically are the same thing with different branding. Now, let me tell you my testimony. When I came to faith, before I became a Christian, I genuinely investigated the other faiths to see if those are what I was going to believe. I didn't try to disprove them or prove them. I just tried to go and say, what are these faiths and which one am I going to hold to? which is true. And I will tell you, I did the five major world religions, and I will tell you, they say some very, very different things. The other ones say it is false, right? That one will say salvation comes this way, and one says condemnation comes from that. They are not compatible. But modern tolerance will say, well, they're all equally valid. Therefore, what God is, who I say God is. And if you genuinely believe God is this way, then he must be that way. And if I believe God is another way, then he must be that way. My beliefs create who God is, as that's what we're saying. My beliefs create reality. It also works with ethics. 
right? What's true for you is not true for me is usually work with ethics, right? You believe that's right. It's right for you, but it's not right for me. Well, that's a denial that there is such a thing as an ethical reality. There's anything that's objectively ethically right and wrong. That my belief is what is ethical is what creates ethics. Well, our beliefs from the spiritual move into the philosophical, right? We have the idea from the historical or emotional ideals of what is true becomes based upon what we believe they are. For example, if I feel offended, I have truly been offended, which means that you are an offender. Now, in reality, you might not have have meant to offend me, but it doesn't matter. If I feel offended, you are an offender. My beliefs create the reality. More than that, they also create history. If I feel that I have been oppressed, if I feel that I have been wronged, regardless if I actually was wrong, maybe my, doesn't matter if my opinion of that actually matches what happened. If I feel offended, then I am. If I feel oppressed, then I have been oppressed. My beliefs create the reality. And we find that's true in our culture. And how about this? What goes from that is no wonder then we're beginning to see now this same philosophy beginning to bear out physically in our culture. It started things with like, uh, well, we'll just go to the one that's most easy and, and the most debated right now. So why not? Gender. If I'm bi- biologically male, I have an X and a Y chromosome, right? You can look them up in a, in a microscope and I am biologically male, but I feel female. Then I am female, right? And you must accept that. Right? It must be not only true for me, what's true, like I'm female, even though I'm biologically male. If I believe it, then that's when my beliefs become the reality, and now I'm truly, fully female. And therefore, you have to accept my pronouns and all of those things. And if you don't, on any of these, we would say you are intolerant. You see, it starts with this, this modern tolerance, starts with all beliefs are equally valid. And all beliefs are equally valid because all beliefs really create our reality. So, this is why, this is how it plays out, and this is, a, is why I believe that it, it becomes counterproductive, why it's creating the hatred that we find in our society. I'm sorry, you can't, re, um, you can't hear this on the, on the website because this is pictures and those are sounds, but, but they were here last week, and these were our buddies, Mr. Green, Mr. Yellow, Mr. Blue. I'll let you pick out who's who. And so we talked about last week, truth is that which corresponds to reality, right? And so a valid belief is that one that is true right? If we believe what is true, it's valid. Like if I pick up a, uh, if I want, I have a headache and I pick up a bottle that says Tylenol and inside there's Tylenol and I take those, it's, it's valid, right? But if I pick up a bottle of cyanide and I say, well, I believe that it's Tylenol and it doesn't matter if I really believe it, it's not a valid belief. It's still going to, it's not going to cure my headache. Well, it will, but in a bad way. Okay. <laughs> so here we have three different people. There is reality. Reality is objective. We talked about that which corresponds to reality is what is truth. Our beliefs have to correspond there. So we would say that understanding that, that, of course, the guy who sees the red box and says a red box is a red box, well, we would say his belief is true and therefore valid. But modern tolerance is different than that. It would say the other guy who says, well, it's a box, but it's a yellow box, we would say, well, his belief is equally valid, right? For him, a red box is a yellow box, and who are you to say otherwise? Or how about the guy who's got, like, the shape and the color wrong? We would say he is equally va- his belief is equally valid, too. Right? It doesn't matter what reality says, what I believe is what matters, because all beliefs are equally valid. Right? And if you disagree with that, you are intolerant. And so we have the idea that uh, modern tolerance, then, it, it rejects the concept of truth. What is true for you is not true for me. Well, if truth is that which corresponds to reality, 
right? And if my beliefs are valid because they're true, well, if all beliefs are valid, we can't have truth. There is no such thing as truth. I think the greatest evidence of this are the, the, the few love notes that I got this week from those who were maybe here who heard the truth message or heard it online, which I love were our online listeners. But um, the challenge or the pushback that I got was this. They say, how dare you say that there's such a thing as truth? Well, there has to be truth. If there's reality, there must be truth, something anything that corresponds to it. And so this belief system, I know it's rocking some of your worlds. So what we grew up with, but it starts with there's no such thing as true. How do they would say, uh, they would say that Mr. Yellow and Mr. Blue would say, well, wait a second, Mr. Green. What's true for you is not true for me. Basically, they say there's no such thing as truth. There's nothing to correspond to reality. Your belief is not more valid, right, because of truth. There's no such thing as truth. And when we deny truth, what we are really doing is we are denying reality itself. That we say that there is no such reality. Therefore, what's true for you is maybe different for me. There's nothing out there that is actually objective that validates our beliefs. And so modern pseudo, postmodernism, it denies reality. It says reality is whatever we say it is. And when we deny reality, what we're actually saying is reality is, is based upon, is just built of objective existence, right? Whatever exists is what is real. For example, you exist, because you think, right? So therefore we know you exist. Well, somebody in China doesn't know you exist, but are you any less real? No, you are still very real. Somebody a thousand years from now is not going to know you exist. Does that make you not real? No, you exist, right? You're objective. You actually exist. But this says there's no such thing as reality. What I believe becomes reality And therefore, there's not actually an objective reality, which means there's no such thing as objective existence. And if there's no such thing as objective existence, right, then there can be no reality and there can be no truth. And therefore, all we are left with is our beliefs. And because of that, our beliefs all must be equally valid. Does it make sense how this must work? If all beliefs are equally valid and then my beliefs then create the reality I live in, it might be different than yours, and who's to say who's better, right? And so we have all these sayings that we say in our culture, what is true for you may not be true for me, right? But remember, modern tolerance is not just allowing there to be difference of opinions. Modern tolerance says we must accept the beliefs of another. So modern tolerance goes that next step, and it says what is true for me must also be true for you. If my, my opinion is equally valid to yours, then you must also accept what I believe is equally valid to what you already believe. And so this creates a, a situation like this, where Mr. Green says, well, in order to be tolerant, I must accept all of the other beliefs. There really is no red box, And so, therefore, I think red box, somebody else thinks yellow box, and somebody else thinks yellow triangle, they're all the same. Red box is the same thing as yellow box, the same thing as triangle. Exactly like some people say Jesus is the same as, uh, you know, uh, uh, Muhammad, right? Or, well, they would say Islam is the same thing as as Christianity, is the same thing as Mormonism, it's the same. That's what that is. It's taking different ideas and equating them, saying they're all the same thing. Or like saying, um, there is no such thing as man or woman or male and female. They are the same thing, right? We take realities and we equate them all together in order to be tolerant. And when we do that in a culture because of this, what do we do? Do we validate the truth of this? No. We validate the person. 
because it comes with the assumption that all people are valid. You can't validate ideas. What it does do is it validates people. It says, if you hold to this, then you are a valid person and you are worthy of being listened to. You are worthy of kindness or, or the nice things in society. But what about a person who looks and says, I can't make that logical break? A yellow box is not the same thing as a red box. It's not the same thing as a triangle. They're not the same. And somebody who does not adapt all ideas as equally valid, do we invalidate their idea? No, we invalidate the person. We say the person is not valid. We call them a bigot, right? We call them whatever kind of phobe that we want to call them. We invalidate the human. And because they're invalidated, then we don't have to listen to what they have to say. Because the invalid people don't have valid ideas. Does that make sense? And isn't that summarized kind of where we are as a culture? Does that help make sense why sitting around the Thanksgiving table sometimes we find that it's not just a disregard for another person's ideas, but actually a disregard for the person? We begin to hate our neighbor because they put up the wrong candidate on their front lawn. And we don't just disagree with the idea, we begin to hate the person. We begin to name call. We begin to to vilify and demonize one another. Just because we say they're not valid as humans, because they hold the wrong beliefs, because in our opinion, they are not openly inclusive of ours. What about the last guy? Let's just say Mr. Blue, poor Mr. Blue, he just doesn't see things the way they are. Let's just say he, he doesn't know about these other. He's never met Mr. Yellow or Mr. Green. He has no idea what they believe. He's just ignorant. So he holds to his belief and believes it's true. He just thinks that it's yellow triangle. What about somebody like that? Well, our culture also invalidates them too, don't we? We say, well, you don't know everything enough, right? You are, you are ignorant, and therefore you are invalid. Your opinions are invalid because you don't know to accept everything. And therefore, the only people that we would say in our society that are fully valid are those who are fully aware of what everybody believes and is equally open to accept all beliefs. Let me ask you, who here knows all people's beliefs on all things? Then you're all ignorant. And we're all invalid. This is a dangerous, dangerous belief system. Let me summarize why it's so dangerous, because we see the effect of it, don't we? This is a dangerous system because let's begin with the fact that it is, it is insane. And I'm not saying that as a joke. Sanity is when something corresponds to reality, when it's connected to reality. Insanity. For example, I believe that this is the Bible. And in reality, it is the Bible. And so I am very sane to believe that. If I believed genuinely that this is a hat, and I wore it about all around town, people would think I'm crazy, wouldn't they? I'd tip my hat to you. (laughs) I would be insane. Because my belief would be disconnected from what is really there. It's the same thing. Insanity is not a funny thing. It's not something true to be laughed at. It's, It's sad because it hurts us. There was a time in my life where I was arachnophobic. That was a mental disorder. It was horrible. I was an electrician. It was the worst thing you could possibly have. Uh, maybe like somebody who has to climb those giant poles, and if they're afraid of heights or something, maybe worse. But being an electrician and being truly terif- like phobic of spiders was a horrible way to live. Now, I knew that the spiders weren't going to kill me, but I felt the very real that they were going to kill me, and that became my reality. My belief was disconnected with with reality and it was insanity and it it caused all kinds of tension in my life and it made me not do my job very well 
actually made me change careers, and God used it, and that's why I'm here. (laughs) But when we are disconnected from reality, it's called insanity. Well, this system is so disconnected from reality, it actually denies its existence. And because it's insane, it's irrational. Rationality means that it's logically congruent. It makes sense, right? One thing flows to the next, but this is an irrational. It doesn't logically flow. To say a red box is is a yellow box is logically incongruent. They are not. To say something is what it is not, it creates a logical incongruence. And because of that, because it causes us to, forces us to believe things that are irrational, it's also impossible, See, rationality lo- follows the reality of, of, uh, of logic. <laughs> There's a way that the world is, God is a rational God as he created the, the world in a certain way. And we believe it to be different. We can't actually practice our life that way. It's impossible. And so this type of, of belief system is absolutely impossible, which is why we say we are such a tolerant, we, we hold up tolerance and we've become a very intolerant society. It's impossible. For example, uh, Think about all the ways that, that we hold these ideas, but we don't truly hold them. We cannot. Uh, there is a, if you have a freedom of conscience, you believe that, uh, that marriage is one man, one woman, and there's somebody else that says, no, marriage is something different, whatever we create it to be, well, then for this couple to say, well, I believe marriage is one man, one woman, so now that has got to be both. Marriage is only one thing, and it's also only another thing, and it's also everything. That's the only way to be tolerant, but if they, if they don't make that logical break, well, then all of a sudden, the person over here who believes that marriage is whatever we want doesn't also, also have to believe that marriage is also only one man, one woman. You can't, you can't believe something is something and it also is not something at the same time. It is an absolute impossibility, which is why so many people are so frustrated and we don't even want to talk about beliefs. It's It's impossible. And because it is impossible, what it does is it invalidates people. How do we rectify this incongruence in our mind? Well, we try to get rid of the people that create the incongruence. We say, your beliefs are, I don't, I'm not going to hold your beliefs. Therefore, you are, you are an intolerant person, and I invalidate you, so I don't have to listen to your beliefs. And we see that this system, it invalidates people and therefore is inconsistent with our faith, which is why as Christians, I'm not preaching this out to the rest of the world. This is to Christians, right, brothers and sisters? This type of tolerance is being owned by the world, but this message is for believers. This type of tolerance is inconsistent with our faith. Why? Well, to begin with, it starts with the belief that there's no such thing as a true existence. And our faith begins with a God who reveals himself as existence itself. Remember our names of God we just finished a couple weeks ago. One of the ways that God reveals himself is I am who I am. In other ways, I am the existent one, the self-existent one, that he objectively exists. He existed before Moses knew who he was. He existed. He'll exist regardless of people know who he is. He exists. He doesn't need anybody else to validate him because he self-exists. He's objectively God. Existence is objective. They form the foundation of our faith and our understanding who God is. And not only that, because there is existence and it is objective, therefore there can be such a thing as truth and that truth can be knowable. We can have ideas about what exists and our ideas can actually correspond to what's out there and it could be called true. Jesus said, in our memory verse last week, if we are his disciples, he said, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. There is such a thing as real truth. Because there's such a thing as real reality. 
And we can know it. Now, Jesus was talking to his disciples here, and look at what he's presuming for them first. He says, then you will know the truth. He says, right now, you believe a lot of things that aren't true. Your beliefs don't create reality. Your ideas of how the kingdom of God is supposed to work are not the way the kingdom of God is. But if you listen to how I'm going to reveal it to you, truth to you, then you're going to know the truth, and that truth will have an effect. It will set you free. He also believes that all beliefs are not equally valid. Right? Not everything will set you free. Jesus said right now, there are things that you believe that are keeping you in bondage. But then you will know the truth and then you will be set free. Not all ideas are valid. And because not all ideas are valid, we have things like this where, where he says, uh, Jesus talking about God the Father, he says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. God has revealed himself in scripture many times as the one true God. That's how he's revealed himself, right? In, in Exodus, when he gives the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment says, I am God, you shall have no other gods before me. No others. That's the beginning, right? He says, I'm not Baal. I'm not Ashtoreth. I'm not all the, the bulls and all the other things. I'm not the gods of Egypt. I'm the one true God. If you want to have salvation and you want to have a relationship with me, you have to have a real relationship with me. And that makes sense. For example, not all women are my wife. And if you want to have a relationship with my wife... You're going to have to have a relationship with my wonderful, beautiful wife, Amy. Now, you may know lots of other women, but you won't get to know my wife unless you know her, <laughs> right? It applies in every other area of life. And God says, if you want a relationship with me, I exist. I am true. And Jesus said, if you want to be his worshiper, know the true God. Not all religions are valid. Not all religions are equal. And so we get this, this, this concept that we say that not all are truth. There has to be truth out there. And where is this truth? Well, Jesus says that, you know what? I am the truth. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is a very intolerant statement today, isn't it? They say, how dare you, Jesus, say that you're the only way? But we don't practice that any other way in life. Let me give you an illustration. Let's just say you get sick. I mean, like, really sick. I mean, like, so sick that men, we would go to the doctor sick, like sick, sick. We are really sick, and we go to the doctor, and the doctor does his tests and all that kind of stuff and comes back and says, ooh, I got some bad news for you. You are going to die. What you have will kill you. And you're like, oh, that's some heavy news, doctor. But the doctor says, oh, but there's good news. There's a new drug out, and it will absolutely cure you. I'm like, fantastic. And he writes you a prescription for that drug, right? Now, on this prescription, it is this specific drug with this specific dosing. This is what you're supposed to take. When he gives you that, do you look at that prescription and say, that is so narrow-minded of you? <laughs> health comes, all drugs lead to health. Is that what we do? We say, well, I believe my antacid is going to heal me. I don't need this. No. We take the one prescription that can help us, and we take it to the pharmacy, and we take the drug, and we get better. That's how we practice things, right? If you're going to make a cake, you don't substitute salt for sugar, do you? There's one ingredient that's going to make the difference. There are so many times in life that we just say, when you are going to go and you're going to fly on vacation, you don't just hop on any airplane. It's like, I'm going to get on all aircraft, lead to my vacation spot. No, they don't. Jesus said, there is sickness in our soul and we all know it. Sin leads to death. 
There's a spiritual brokenness and a guilt and a shame that we just deal with and it just bothers us. We are not the people we know that we're supposed to be. And we hate that. We can't change ourselves. And at some point, Jesus came and he told us, listen, there is a way. There is a way to be cured of that. And this is it. I am that way. I'm the truth and I will give you life. It may not seem to be tolerant, but it's for every person. Modern tolerance will reject this, but but our very faith is built upon that there is such a thing as truth and that truth is empowering and that truth is healing. And the most loving thing that we can do is to hold, begin with starting with truth, which is why the message last week. Modern tolerance rejects this, and so it leads people into destructive lives. They bake their cakes with salt, and they wonder why it always turns out bad. We don't hate the people that are bad bakers. We need to love everybody, right? If God has revealed some truth to us, then why don't we want to share it? Tolerance is what gives us the freedom to do that. So let's talk about classic tolerance. What is true tolerance? Here's a definition from the Oxford Dictionary. It says this, Tolerance is the ability or willingness to tolerate the existence or opinions or behaviors that one dislikes or disagrees with. Isn't that a great definition? No, it's not. You know why? Because it uses the word tolerate in the definition of intolerance. I just, I, this is lazy. So let's get a better one. It says this, and New Webster. Webster did a much better job. This is the dictionary in my office. Webster's second collegiate condition. It says this, tolerance is to allow or to permit, to recognize, to respect others' beliefs and practices without sharing them, to bear up or put up with someone or something not necessarily liked. Now, in both of those descriptions, notice the focus is not on the idea. It's on the person. I'm going to put up with an idea I disagree with. I'm going to tolerate it. But there's a reason for that. Right? There's a relational reason. The focus on real tolerance is not on the idea. It's on the person. It's on the relationship. So you don't have to share ideas. It means that you may have a gift, and I'll say, hmm, I don't have to accept that gift. I don't agree with it but I'm not going to throw it in your and allow it to exist. So, but we have to, notice that this definition requires that we begin with, we have to have something we disagree with, something we don't like. You cannot tolerate something you already accept, something you already love. A great example of this is pie, right? I, um, I can't tolerate apple pie. And the reason I can't tolerate apple pie is because I love apple pie, right? If I come to your house and you serve me a slice of apple pie, Right? I sit there, and I enjoy my apple pie while I'm at your house, and at the end of dessert, you say, well, how did you enjoy that? I won't say, well, I tolerated it. Because if I did, what would you think? Well, I hated it. I didn't tolerate it. I loved it. It's apple pie. Now, I can tolerate banana cream pie because I hate it. Right? I've never met a banana cream pie I like. It's just gross. But if you gave me a slice of banana cream pie to tolerate it would begin, I don't throw it in your face. I don't, I reject this pie. I don't do that because I like you. If you serve me banana cream pie, I will take a couple polite bites, right? Right? And then on the way home, Amy says, how would you like dessert? And I was like, well, I tolerated it, right? There has to be things that we don't agree with, we don't like, so we can put up with them, to bear up with them. So it starts with, with this idea Tolerance begins with a different kind of assumption than modern tolerance. Modern tolerance begins with the assumption that all beliefs are equally valid. True tolerance starts with the assumption that all people are equally valid. Do you see the difference? The focus is on the person. And so it continues then with if all people are equally valid, then I have a right to hold my opinion and you have a right to hold your opinion. It doesn't mean that both of our opinions are equally right or our understandings are equally right, but you have an equal right to hold yours as I do mine. And that gives me the freedom then to evaluate your ideas 
and gives you the freedom to evaluate mine. So tolerance doesn't just stop with accepting a person. It then says, because we are different as people, let's evaluate the ideas. Knowing that regardless if we end up on different places, I will still love you and you will still love me. And so I can evaluate ideas and I might then, when I evaluate ideas, I'm going to say some I'm going to hold and others I'm going to reject. Some I'm going to say are good and others are bad. That's all right. Since we talked about pie, let me illustrate this all using pie, because I think pie is great, right? Let's just say, in reality, there exists pie. And there are three different people who come up, and they, they, they can have a confrontation or a, uh, an opportunity to have, an, to have a belief about pie. And one person looks at pie, and he says, that's a pie, right? It exists, he sees it, and he's like, that's a pie. And then Mr. Yale comes up, and he says, you know what? Yeah, I see pie. Up And he sees that, and he's like, I see a donut. He says, that's a donut. And it's not that he's making it up. He genuinely believes it's a donut. Right? How does modern or pseudo-tolerance, how does it handle a situation like this? Well, it begins with, the, one of us have to say, well, what's true for you isn't true for me. Right? You see pie, I see donut, what's true for you is not true for me. It is a donut to me, and you can't tell me otherwise. Right? What's true for you is not true for me, so don't tell me that it's pie. I don't want to hear about it. It's a donut. But then it goes on. Because remember, true tolerance, modern tolerance actually, says that I have to accept the ideas of another. And so, Mr. Blue would go on and say, but what is true for me must be true for you. And that leads to the question that I think a lot of us have been asking the last couple of years is, well, do I have to believe it's a donut? I see a pie. Seems like in reality it's a pie. You say it's a donut. Do I have to also now believe it's a donut? And if all ideas are equally valid, and in order to be tolerant, I must accept all ideas, the answer is yes. Yes, you have to believe it's a donut, which puts us in a difficult position where we have to believe that pies are donuts, which leads to all kinds of crazy things we have to say in, in our culture to say, well, I guess it's, it's a donut, even if we don't believe it. But when we do this, there is a reward. There's a reason why we do this. is because if we say such things, even if we don't believe them, if we try to hold all ideas as equal, we are going to find that not our ideas are validated, but that we are validated. It says you are tolerant. It's not you have tolerant ideas, but that you are tolerant, and therefore we validate the person. You are a worthwhile person in our society. You are a tolerant person. But what about somebody who says, wait a second, pie is pie. Donuts are not pie. Pie is pie. And they have the audacity to say, that's a pie, not a donut. What do we do with them? Well, modern tolerance would then have to reject them. <laughs> right? Isn't this the way that it goes? It would say, how dare you? My, my belief is equally valid to yours, and you didn't accept it, therefore you're a bigot. Or you're a donut-phobe, or whatever you want to call them. Right? And in doing so, we don't attack their ideas, we attack the person. We call them names, we demonize them, and we invalidate the person, and therefore we don't have to listen to them. That is how modern tolerance works. Let's look at the same situation, but let's look at classical tolerance, true tolerance. How does it handle that very same situation? Three people, understanding of pi, two of them think it's pi, one thing begins with this idea that all people are equally valid, therefore, you don't have to believe it's a pi for me to accept you. Right, even if I'm right, you can believe, you, have, you are a valid person and you have the right to believe something that is wrong and still be loved. 
That's where it begins. Now, you'll notice that Mr. Green doesn't say, I have to believe it's a donut, because tolerance is a two-way street, right? But in doing this, we validate Mr. Blue. We say to him, you are a valuable person because of who you are, not because of everything that you believe. You are worthy of love. And of course, the two-way street goes back. Mr. Blue is now have the freedom or this place to say, you know what, I wish you saw a donut, but I'm not going to force you to. Right? And so doing, he validates those who disagree with him. Not their ideas. He can disagree with their ideas all day long. But he says, you know what, you are valid. You are worthy of holding that opinion and still receive grace and mercy and love. This is true tolerance. And this is what we are called to, right? This type of tolerance it may reject ideas, but it always accepts the person. Do we see that? And that is the fundamental difference between true tolerance and the modern broken uh, version, the pseudo-tolerance that we've lived within. This type of tolerance can change society, can't it? It can end wars between people. And therefore, it should be surprised that this kind of tolerance is actually commanded of us, of our faith. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 5. Your memory verse card should be there already. But if not, don't worry. You can open up to Matthew chapter 5. If you have one of our Bibles, it's on page 678. We're going to be on the very top of the second column. Now, Matthew 5, Jesus is preaching one of the greatest sermons of all time. Why is it the greatest sermon of all time? Because Jesus preached it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Right? And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching about the new kingdom of God, the real way. And he's telling people, this is truth. Here are some things that you misunderstood in religion and faith and how you practice it. Here's truth. Here's God's kingdom. And it was just blowing people's minds. still does today. Now, in that sermon, listen to what he talks about how we are supposed to love one another. Starting in verse 43, he says, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then listen to this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, Jesus ties perfection right on the heels of tolerance, apparently. Now, in this passage, we we see that there's a different kind of kingdom that we are part of. It's different than our current culture. See, it says, Jesus said, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That's what our culture is telling us, right? Love people who see things the way that you do and vilify, hate those other people that see things different, right? We call them names. We're going to reject them. Jesus says, it's not the way of his kingdom. It works very different. He says, I'm going to tell you to do something. And what does he tell us to do? We have two roles in this. And they are not to judge and condemn. Did you notice that? Jesus didn't say, you heard to love your neighbor or, or, and, and hate your enemy, and so therefore I tell you to judge and condemn them? No. He said this. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Our two roles are to love and to pray. That's hard. You see, love is seeking another's good above your own, isn't it? That's what it means to seek somebody else's good above your own. Jesus loved us. He went to the cross for us. He sought our good above his own. That's true love. And who are we supposed to love? Our enemies. Enemies are not just people that are difficult. Enemies are people that are actively seeking our ill. And of course, the thing is, if we can love those people, we can love anybody. So you have been freed to love anybody. That's crazy. You could seek the good of people who are seeking your destruction. You can actually do it. That is the call of a disciple. 
This is where we go. And how do we do it? We pray for them as well. Because it's not only up to me to change them. God can change any heart. God can change anybody, right? So there is love and there is prayer. Now notice that love is one step beyond acceptance. Acceptance is receiving something, but I can still dislike them, right? But love is I'm seeking their good. I'm not just accepting them. I'm taking the next step. I'm actively pursuing their benefit. That is what we are called to do. Tolerance calls us into areas that our world just doesn't get. That's why it blows their mind. That's why there's no defense for true love, true tolerance. That's why it changes hearts and lives. That's why it's, it's one of the keys to be able to build God's kingdom. It's this amazing thing. Now, why do we tolerate? Why do we love our enemies? And why do we pray for those who persecute us? Well, it starts with the understanding that all people are, have equally, uh, equal value. Everybody is equally worthy of God's grace and forgiveness. Every person has, is, is equally important to God. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. Even if you're wrong, and even if I'm wrong, it starts there, that God created all of us, and we're all his children, we're all made in his image. Does that make sense? We start there. John 3.16, what a great reminder for us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in the, the mostly good people. God loved those who had their act together, but any of those that believed in him would not perish. God loved the, the morally good God loved the world, and that includes people like me that just don't get it right all the time, and people like you. But God loves everybody because every person is equally valid to receive his grace. This is why we love, and this is why we pray for them. And you know, God's tolerance is not weak, and it's not just putting up. God's love is powerful, and it's redemptive. Look what it says in Second Peter 2. It says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. What is his promise? The promise that's being talked about right here is Jesus' return. When he's going to finally end wickedness. He's going to judge the wicked. He's going to save the, the, those that have been redeemed. Right? We're looking forward to the day when Christ returns. And that's coming. But he says he's not being slow in letting that day come. Why? He says instead he is patient with you. That's tolerating you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. God's. Tolerance is not just so you can get away with sinful lives. It's to give us time and to receive his love and his grace so that we can be redeemed. Because the time of grace is not forever. There is a power to his tolerance. In fact, the scripture says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, doesn't it? Isn't it awesome that God tolerated you long enough for you to become a Christian? That God tolerates you as a Christian even when you don't always deserve his love? Like... Like me, I think every day, every time I drive to work, I, I think I deserve lightning bolts, right? Because somebody will do something stupid. I'm like, oh, you're a bad driver. I judge him, right? Or I might even think worse things, right? But he doesn't give me lightning bolts. He just tolerates. And that tolerance is redemptive. I get to find his mercies and his grace in you every morning. Every time I take communion, what again, what another awesome reminder that he tolerated me again because he loves me. And he's changing me from the inside out. God's love is redemptive. And so we practice tolerance as Christians. We're not doing it to give other people a license to believe bad things. We're doing it to give them time to receive God's love and grace. So how do we tolerate? Well, take out your memory verse card. I told you you have that ready because here is something. Matthew 5 tells us that we're supposed to be tolerant, but it doesn't tell us how. It says be perfect. Well, thank you, Jesus. That's real handy. How do you be tolerant? That's why we have the rest of the writings and the scripture, right, that all works together. Here in Ephesians 4, we have 
an outline, something that you can do to how to practice tolerance. So you want to look at that. The card says this, our, our verse for the week, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is tolerance in action. And there are four B's in there, or three B's in a bear, up to you. Right? But the first one is this. This is a be completely humble. Do you see that? This is the attitude that we must start with. It says the Scripture have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, right? That he said he didn't, he didn't hold to Godhood, even though he could, but he laid that down and he picked up humility. He allowed himself to come in the form of a human, and not just any human, but a poor human, but also then to die a criminal's death on a cross for crimes that he didn't even commit. That's humility. That's the attitude that we're supposed to have. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less, isn't it? The opposite of humility oftentimes is pride. Pride when it's all about me. When you have to serve me, you have to make me feel good. You have to not offend me. It's all about me. Humility is it's not about me. It's about God. And God loves you. And therefore, I'm going to put up with you even if you do mean things to me. Even if you have to crucify us, that's what you're going to have to do. But I will say that you are valid and you are worthy of love. And so I'm going to be humble. That's the attitude. We have to develop that. I think it's awesome that Jesus, even that attitude that he had on the cross, even when he was hanging there and all of that pain and all of the shame and all of the things that were there, even as he was hanging there, didn't he, he didn't say, well, oh, you're going to get it. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's humility. Even then, thinking of others, thinking of us. And because we've received this, we have a pattern. We have someone, Christ, that says, follow me in this. Be humble. And how can I humble? Completely. It can't be about be prove myself right in this. You've just got to prove that they're, they're loved and God loves them. And so then there's the next one. Be completely gentle. That is the method. Right? We can be humble and it's not about me, but I can still beat you up over the head with the Bible, can I? I mean, I could still like, say, point in the Scripture and say, oh, well, the reason that you, you're suffering right now is because you're an awful sinner. It says right here in the Bible, all of sin falls toward the glory of God, and you're going to burn, buddy. Turn or burn, up to you. Right? I can... And I can say, oh, you're so good. not kind. Oftentimes what that does is it makes people feel shame, which is not what God is about. It makes them feel like they're, they're going to be in opposition to God. It doesn't make them feel loved or valued. It says to be gentle. It says to speak truth and love. Now, notice it does say speak truth. We have to be very clear. Truth exists. This is how it looks in my own life or how I've practiced it. There are oftentimes someone will come to me uh, with, a, say they have marriage problems. This is a, a common one. Someone's got marriage trouble. They're having a hard time in their marriage. Now, I can go to the Bible and I can say, well, man, are you laying your life down as God, Christ laid his life down for his wife? Well, no. Well, no wonder. God hates you. There's a brass uh, sky up for you. I don't even want to listen to your prayers. <laughs> or I can knock up and say, listen, you need to love your wife because Christ loved you. This is what he's done for you, and this is how you can begin to love your wife, and this is what it looks like in my own life. When I have to lay down myself for my life, this is what it looks like in my life. And you know what? God will forgive the times that you haven't, but this, you need to love your wife or to wives and say, you've got to respect your husband, right? And talk about well, this is how you do it. This is why it's so important. This is, what, this is the next step. That's gentleness, but it's also clarity. You need to love your wife, men. You need to, you need to respect your husband, wives. The clarity is there, the truth is there, but we have to say it in such a way that it is kind. And that's why it says, speak truth in love. That's how we do it. So when you are speaking truth to somebody, when you're going to confront them, think about how they will receive, what is kind, what is gentle. The next thing, oh, I think in this, is we have to then choose not to retaliate. Because it says to love your enemies. Enemies are going to shoot at you, aren't they? They're going to punch at you. But Jesus said, turn the other cheek. 
Not because we're weak, but because we're so strong, we have ourselves under control. We say, listen, I'm going to declare peace. You keep declaring war, but God said that he wants peace. And as his ambassador, I would choose not to retaliate. I'm not going to fight back against you. I'm going to forgive that awful thing that you did. I'm going to continue to point you to what is true. And if you accept it, you accept it. If you don't, I still love you. That is gentleness. Then we also have the next B here is be patient. This is the expectation. It's going to take time. You're not going to just confront somebody and then all of a sudden their life turns around. Has that happened to you? Aren't you glad that God is patient with you, waiting for you to transform you from the inside out? There are going to be people in our life that are going to be enemies and it's going to take days, weeks, months, years, decades sometimes. And we're going to love them and we're going to tolerate their crazy, awful behavior and their crazy, awful beliefs. And we're not going to retaliate. And we're going to continue to love them. And we're going to pray for them. And we're not going to give up on them because God did not give up on me. That's why. And we recognize that God is at work. And God can move any heart. And so we're just patient. Just as God is patient with me. And the last B is the bear. Bear with one another in love. This is our motivation. It's got to be love. God loved us. And can we love one another? Can we start that you're worthy of love, that you're valid, that, that all people, even those who, who may totally disagree with everything that we have to say, they are still humans worthy of love? Can we do that? Can I put up with them? That's the bearing. You notice that you bear heavy things? It's going to be hard. That's what it says. It's going to be hard. But bear up under it. And how, does, how do we have the strength to bear up under it? Well, that's one of the reasons that we have to have a church. You have to have a church family. You need to be around other people to be like, you know what? You can do this. That help you. You could go to be like, oh, they said this, right? You're like, yeah, that was awful. Let's pray for them. And it validates us because the rest of the world is going to call us every kind of ism and every other thing that they're going to try to call us. And we need to be reminded that God loves you too and that you're valid. You need a church family so that we have the strength to bear up all of the, other, the, the hurt of this world. But also you have to have a relationship with Jesus, right? You have to know what's truth. You have to, to know what you're bearing up. You have to have a, a living relationship with Christ as he speaks into your heart and your life that says, you know what, it may be hard, but you know what, you're still mine. Promise is yours, I'm coming back. These things are essential, but we must bear up with one in love. We have to start looking at our community and saying, it's not about us. What can we do that's best for those that we live around? How do we love them? That's our motivation. This is tolerance. Starts with it defends the validity of all people, not beliefs. It goes next. It says it's part of discipleship. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called to be a tolerant person. We're to bear up with one another, right? And also, it is expressed in humility. It is expressed in gentleness. It is expressed in patience. And it is expressed in love. This is how it's done. And this truth and tolerance are two of the tools that we'll be using as we continue to build Christ's kingdom in this community, as we begin to see people who go from being Christ's enemies to his own children. It's the most amazing thing that you'll ever imagine. And I'll tell you what, there is no defense against either. Your, your, um, your connection card, that green card, if you look on the back, always got to put practice, got to put feet to our beliefs, right? If we hear God's word and don't do anything, we're just deceiving ourselves, we're not really following Jesus, we're just standing there and watching him walk by, right? We have to take steps. What are your steps this week? Here's some things, some ideas for you. The first is this. Maybe you want to memorize Ephesians 4.2. This is one of the most powerful verses that you can ever have declaring peace in this world, right? From an argument with your spouse or your child, ask yourself, and there's tension there, am I being completely humble in this or am I making this about me? 
Look for humility. What's truly best for them, right? Am I being gentle? Am I treating them with the same kind of gentleness that Christ treats me with when I'm wrong? Right? Am, in the midst of all of this, am I being uh, this? I'm being patient. I'm being gentle. I'm, being, uh, I'm humble. Am I, uh, am, am I being patient for them? Am I giving them time? Am I allowing them the space to be loved even if I disagree with them? Ask him, am I choosing, I want them to be the way I want them to be because it makes me feel comfortable? Am I giving them truth and helping them? How about this? Am I bearing up with them in love? Am I really seeking their best good in this? This is a powerful thing. It works in work with employees. It works in Safeway with crazy people who have 15 items in the 10 item thing, right? It works in all kinds of things. Maybe what you do is you memorize it. That's what you start with this week. And as you memorize it, begin to play it through. When you sense tension in relationships, this will help you. So maybe that's what you start with. This. How about this? Maybe what you want to do is you read God's word. You want to see how God builds his kingdom? How does his kingdom set people free? Read Acts 1 through 9. Prepare your heart and your life. Get ready for this. Maybe that's what you do this week. Or how about this? Maybe you pray for, and there's a blank there, because I don't know who's bothering you, but you do. And maybe you say, you know, Jesus told me to love my enemy and to pray for those who persecute me. And there's this person that's a thorn in my side. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to start. That'd be the hardest prayer that you ever do. But I challenge you, you do it because God does amazing things. This week, let's do that. Write that name down. How about this? Maybe the God's speaking to you. He's telling you to do something else. I didn't think of. That's quite normal. Write it down. As your pastor, I want to support you. I'll pray for you this week as you go and you take steps of faith, as you walk closer to Christ. And there's a last one, of course. We have that. We're having that every week. But I'll tell you what it you found this message helpful, this service, you're growing closer to God, you, you found something in, in helpful here? And you say, why not invite a friend or a colleague or a coworker? Why not share good news and bring them with you next week, especially as we start this new series in Acts? Okay, so you've made your commitments. You have your prayer requests on there. We're going to take our offering in just a minute. As we take the offering, as the baskets are passed, I want you to take those connection cards along with your gifts, your tithes, all that. Put them in that basket as it's passed, right? Um, but let's pray for our offering and for our commitments now before we, we, uh, we receive them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are powerful and you are good, and we see uh, that you uh, will not tolerate wickedness. In fact, uh, you bore the punishment for wickedness in your own self, uh, the person of, of God the Son on the cross for our salvation. And Lord, that you, in this, you shown us that we were worthy of your love, even though that our actions and our beliefs were anything worthy of, of your grace, and yet you showed, gave it to us. God, help us as a church to be a church that truly loves our neighbors. Help us to be truly tolerant of one another and the people that we live in this community and those that see things different. Even help us, Father, to love our enemies as you've called us to. That is a, that is a hard thing. Give us the strength to bear up with one another in love. Father, as we take steps this week in faithfulness, as we want to follow and practice this tolerance, Father, I pray that you would help us, gift us uh, with, with encouragement with each other and the Holy Spirit. Help us not to just be legalistic in what we do, but, Father, may your word come alive in our life and may your life become real in this community because of that. Father, I pray, too, for our tithes and our offerings. Lord, I pray that you would bless those, multiply them, use them to build your amazing kingdom. Lord, we thank you again for your love and we pray all of this in the beautiful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.